Well, thank you very much for inviting me back again. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here and to uh, worship uh, in, this, uh, in this lovely church where I've uh, been now for nearly 20 years, uh, one way or another, and to renew old uh, friendships uh, again. Uh, I want to talk over the next uh, few weeks about Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king. You may be familiar with this combination from hymns. Um, every once in a while, Christmas carols and so on will, will contain this, the, this phrase, uh, you know, Jesus, our prophet, our priest, and our king. Uh, and I want to look at this a little, in a little bit uh, greater depth, uh, if we can, over the next few weeks, because these three designations of our Lord are actually fundamental to the way in which we understand who he was and what he did. The common thread uh, uh, which unites them is the fact that in ancient Israel, uh, all three, the prophets, the priests, and the kings, were anointed uh, by uh, God uh, for service. This was the sort of sign, the outward sign uh, of their office. Uh, and, of course, it is the word, the, the phrase anointed, the anointed one, uh, which in Hebrew is Mashiach, or Messiah, as we ter uh, render it in English, uh, and in Greek, Christos, or Christ, uh, that uh, gives Jesus his distinctive name. And so you can see from this just how important it is. Um, in his own uh, earthly lifetime, the nation of Israel uh, had a priesthood, uh, which, of course, went back uh, to the time of Moses and Aaron and was, uh, in its own way, perhaps the, uh, the most resilient um, of the institutions of Israel, that it had survived uh, you know, for a very long time through all the ups and downs of Israelite history. And, of course, in Jesus' day, the high priest was, in effect, uh, the representative of the nation, the supreme authority uh, among the Jews. Uh, there were kings, but of course people like Herod and so on were really interlopers. Um, they weren't the, the true uh, monarchy of David, which had been promised to David and Solomon. Uh, and we know in reading the New Testament that this was a bone of contention uh, because it, right back to the story of the wise men uh, you know, who uh, were foolish enough to go to Herod and ask, uh, who is this who was born king of the Jews? Um, which of course was not what Herod wanted to hear. Uh, and uh, it goes right through the New Testament in this way. But the, the kingship, the state uh, and its authority and so on, was also uh, is an, a part of the establishment, part of the religious establishment of Israel. The prophets uh, were the loose cannons. Um, you didn't inherit prophecy uh, you, you, in the way that the priesthood uh, and the kingship were inherited. It wasn't institutionalized in the same way. Uh, prophets could be anybody uh, called from anywhere and indeed if you read through the Old Testament you find that this is one of the features about them which is frequently brought out how God would take the most unlikely person uh, and uh, lead that person, man or woman because there were female uh, prophets as well uh, and take them and uh, raise them up uh, when the nation needed to hear uh, a special word of God so the prophets if you like were a kind of ongoing opposition to the establishment. 
um, people who would, uh, whose, whose task was uh, to bring the nation back to first principles, to proclaim the word of God and to show the, the people which way they should go in the future. I've decided to start with this, um, partly uh, because it's traditional. Uh, you know, we usually say prophet, priest and king rather than anything else. But also, I think, because it tells us something about the way Jesus would have appeared to his contemporaries. Uh, Jesus was not uh, a member of the priestly caste at Jerusalem. Uh, and as we know, in his lifetime, he came into conflict with them at different times. Uh, so it's probably not the best place to begin. Uh, he was the son of David, a descendant of David, but this didn't really mean very much uh, in terms of his earthly ministry because uh, he couldn't just walk into Jerusalem and take control of the government, uh, although there were people who wanted him to do that. Uh, but uh, he was seen as a prophet by his contemporaries, and this is really how his earthly ministry began. I want to just share with you some verses from Luke, uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, uh, towards the beginning of the Gospel, and I'll just read um, a few uh, verses here, which I'm sure will be familiar to you, uh, but sort of take it from there. And it says, Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal, that, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard those things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst... He went away. This well-known story at the beginning of Jesus' ministry reveals to us, shows us clearly uh, by example, uh, what a prophet was uh, and uh, how uh, prophecy generally was received uh, by the Israelites in the course of their history. First of all, a prophet is someone who sees things that other people cannot see. Now, 
there are people like that, aren't there? Uh, you know, you can uh, you come across them from time to time. People who, for some reason or other, seem to have a vision of things that they can they can put things in perspective uh, and and just tell you what's really going on. Uh, and you don't know quite where they get this from or how they you know how this insight comes to them, uh, but. Uh, somehow or other, they can look at things around them and predict uh, what is going to happen. Uh, and uh, occasionally, of course, there are famous examples of this. Uh, many of you will know, perhaps, of the Frenchman, Alexis de Tocqueville, who came to the United States uh, in, what was the 1830s, 1840s, something like that, and wrote uh, a, a famous book called Democracy in America in which he predicted uh, what would happen in the United States. And it's because his predictions came true to a very large extent uh, that he's still widely read and admired today. Uh, you know, and people look back and they say, well, here's somebody who saw things uh, that contemporaries, people who lived at the time, uh, couldn't see. You see, and so of course he is uh, widely regarded as a prophet in that way. And there are many uh, folk like this that uh, you can come across um, if you look hard enough. But in the scriptures, in the Bible, and of course in the case of Jesus, the source of the prophetic knowledge, of the prophetic insight, was not an analysis of social conditions, as it was, of course, for Tocqueville and people like that, uh, a sort of you know clever way of, of reading the signs. It was, rather, uh, a relationship with God. Uh, it was because they knew God, uh, and God had spoken to them in a particular way, that they were able to see things uh, that other people could not see. Um, they had a perspective uh, on uh, reality uh, that was not given uh, to other people. And this, of course, is the, is the essence of what the Old Testament prophets and indeed the mission of Jesus was like. Having this relationship, a relationship which lifted them out of time and space into the realm of eternity, made it possible, of course, for them to see things in perspective, to see things in their proper place. Now, I expect many of you uh, will have flown over Birmingham at some time or other. Some of you probably do it on a very regular basis. Um, I quite like doing this, and I like it when the plane is, uh, you know, has to circle around a little bit before landing, because you see all sorts of places that you know from the ground, uh, you know, but when you see them from the air, you see how they're related uh, to one another. You get the whole picture, and you think, I, I don't know about you, but I always think, oh, I never realized that such, you know, such and such a place was so close to such another place. And that you, you know, because when you're on the ground, you have to go round the long way round and so on to get there. So you, you don't see that. Uh, but from the air, of course, it's all just there, given to you, uh, you know, in one vision. And I think, well, think of a prophet like this. You see, someone who can sort of see the whole thing, the whole picture, from the standpoint of God. Uh, and this, of course, enables the prophet um, to reinterpret the past, to look at past events, reinterpret them, to uh, pass judgment on the present, to tell people, you know, well, this is where we really are and this is what's going to happen and so on. And, of course, as a result, predict the future. What to us is past, present and future. To them is just a single vision. You see something which you see uh, from above. You may think 
that uh, the past, we go there, that Jesus is talking about the past, and of course he quotes the prophet Isaiah, uh, the, the past is already decided. You know, how can you change the past? Well, of course, you can't. Uh, I mean, you can't actually change the events. Uh, but you can change the way they are interpreted. Uh, and this is what Jesus actually did in his earthly ministry. Because if you'd asked people in Jesus' time, what is the basis of Israel? I mean, wh what is Israel? Where does it come from? What's our, you know, why are we here? What are we doing? And so on. They would have pointed, as they did, of course you read the Gospels, to Moses. Uh, and to the law of Moses, which is contained in uh, the books of Genesis to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. This was the basis. This was their constitution, you might say. Um, you know, the books that sort of interpreted the history, that, that showed how God had spoken to Moses and Abraham, set up the law and everything else, uh, the, the priestly uh, uh, sacrifices that governed Israel in the time of Jesus. And that was, that was it. You know, you, you kept the law uh, as we would keep the law, because that's what it was. But Jesus comes along, of course, and overturns this, uh, not by denying Moses. He never said there was no Moses. I mean, it wasn't that. Uh, but rather, he said, no, you've got, if to really understand what Israel's purpose in life is and why we're here, you have to go back behind Moses. You have to go back to Abraham, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because it was with Abraham that God had established what we call his covenant, that God had revealed himself, that God had promised uh, Abraham, uh, you know, that he would become the father of a great nation and that this nation would have a particular purpose in history. And Jesus, of course, did this by saying that, uh, you know, the law of Moses, which has functioned the way it has for hundreds of years and hasn't changed and so on, uh, is actually only there for a time. Now, it may have been a very long time, I mean, over a thousand years, but still only for a time. Uh, that the real basis, the real principle on which Israel was built, you, it was something else. It was the promise that God had given to Abraham, and it was that promise that he had come, first of all, to, uh, to restate, and secondly, to fulfill. So the first part, you see, of Jesus' prophetic ministry is this, to make people look at the past, their past, in a different way to see themselves as the children of Abraham and not just as the followers of Moses and, uh, and the law, you see. And of course, when you do that, then the meaning of the law and the way you interpret the law is going to change because you have to see all of that uh, in the light of the original promises that were given. Uh, and this is what Jesus did uh, during his earthly ministry. You see, he said things like, you have heard it said in old time, thou shalt not kill. Well, of course, that's Moses, uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, and so on. But I tell you, is that anyone who's even looked, in the, who's thought in their hearts something bad about another person has killed that person already. You see, looking at the underlying principle, uh, the underlying spiritual attitude, uh, which had been expressed in the law of Moses, of course, in a particular way, uh, but which could only be understood uh, by going back behind that to the relationship with God, uh, the spiritual relationship with God, which he had originally intended for his people. 
And if you read through the life and career of Jesus, his earthly ministry, you find time and time again, this is what he's doing. You see, is it right to heal people on the Sabbath day? Well, according to the law, no. Because the law says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So you don't do that. And Jesus' reply to this was, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Of course you keep it, uh, you know, when uh, it's right and proper to do so, but not at the cost of denying deeper principles, you know. And if someone comes along and is in desperate need, you don't say, well, I can't help you today because it's the Sabbath. Um, you know, it doesn't work like that. You have to have a, you have to have a different kind of understanding of, what's, uh, of how to read uh, the, the, the history and the law of Israel. So this is what Jesus was doing, you see, during his lifetime. He was making people think about their own inheritance in a different way. Now, a prophet is also somebody who proclaimed the word of God, not just in reinterpreting the past, uh, but someone who, uh, who comes along and says, this is what God is saying to us today. A prophet was somebody who claimed the authority, uh, you see, given to him by his anointing, uh, to, uh, to say to the people, uh, you know, this is what God is going to do for us now. The passage that Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah makes this point. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so it goes from there. You see, the, the, the prophet Isaiah had received this message from God and this is what he proclaimed. By what authority? Well, of course, the prophet would say, uh, because God has told me to say this. How do you know? Uh, that it's God. Well, of course, the only way you can know is whether it works out or not. Uh, and, well, uh, you know, and, and you read the Old Testament and you see this all the time. Uh, you know, that the, uh, the various prophets who came along, and of course there were plenty of false prophets uh, uh, who, would, who, who would invariably predict uh, nice things. I mean, the kings used to, to hire them, you know, to say nice things about them. Uh, and uh, when the, uh, a true prophet came along and said, well, actually, uh, Ahab, you know, if you go to this particular battle, you're going to be killed, um, he got into trouble because you're not supposed to say that, uh, you see. Uh, but, but he was the true prophet because that's what happened, uh, you know, uh, at the end. And uh, then you get Elijah, you see, faced with the prophets of Baal, um, you know, who, who's going to sort of call down fire from heaven to burn the sacrifices. And of course the prophets of Baal don't get anywhere because there is no Baal. Um, and it's only the God of Israel who, you know, who actually fulfills, who actually does uh, what, uh, uh, what the prophet uh, says he will do. So the proof of the pudding was in the eating in a way. You see the accomplishment of the word. And Jesus is also uh, in this category because Jesus said... Uh, that he had come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He had come to fulfill the promises which had been made to Israel in the past. He had come uh, to, uh, to bring to completion, as it were, um, you know, the covenant. Everything that, that God had promised was now going to be realized finally and fully in his life and ministry. And how do you know? Well, uh, you know because at the end when he was crucified uh, on the cross, uh, you know, died for the, the, the sins of the people, he came back from the dead. Uh, 
his resurrection was the proof, if you like, uh, of the truth uh, of what he was saying. And for this reason, of course, the Christian uh, faith to this day, our belief is a belief in the resurrection, that Jesus came back from the dead uh, to demonstrate that his words were right. You see, because of course, anyone could, uh, could say anything um, and be put to death for it. I mean, that, that kind of thing has happened many times in human history. Uh, but only once has anybody actually come back from the dead uh, in order to demonstrate that the words that he had said were true. And so for Jesus, you see, this is part of his mission, uh, part of his prophetic mission that was going to be fulfilled in this way. Uh, but, of course, the prophet is not just somebody who proclaims the word, he's also somebody who teaches what that word means. Uh, you can't just stand up and say, well, you can, of course, just stand up and say things. Um, if you're listening to the primaries, you know all about that. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, what do they actually mean? Uh, and, uh, and this is a much harder thing to, to, to figure out. Uh, you know, like, what, what is this all about? Uh, and, uh, and this is always the case, uh, isn't it? You see, but, so Jesus' prophetic ministry is not just a case of, of saying things, it's also a case of explaining them. Uh, and, of course, he says uh, from the beginning that he has come not to do his will, but the will of his Father who had sent him. And this is vitally important. You see, that the whole uh, ministry of Jesus, the whole life of Jesus, was within a framework of the overall will of God the Father. He didn't come to earth to please himself. Uh, what he did uh, was not, in that sense, unpredictable. It may have seemed unpredictable to the people who watched him. Uh, you know, they couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, but uh, as far as he was concerned, I mean, there was a plan, there was a purpose. Uh, it wasn't accidental. Uh, he came into the world specifically in order to be our saviour in order to be the sacrifice which would pay once and for all for the sins of the human race. This was predicted uh, and this was planned from the beginning. And everything that he did in his life, everything that he said, was heading towards that and had to be understood in that light. You see, this is the uniqueness of Jesus. Uh, this is why there cannot be another prophet of his type. Uh, you see, because uh, once the promises are fulfilled, of course, uh, you know, there's no need uh, to, uh, to do it a second time. I mean, they, they don't wear off, uh, you know, and then you, you do it again later on. It's, it's the once for all fulfillment of these things. A prophet is also someone uh, who records the word, who interprets the word. And of course, Jesus does this also. Because Jesus says to his disciples, write down the things that I have said. And after his resurrection, at the end of Luke's Gospel, if you read there, he taught them. He, he said, well, you know, I'm going to go over all the things that we, I said and did, uh, you know, before that you were there, you saw and everything. I'm going to explain what it all means uh, and you go and write it down. And of course, this is what we have in the New Testament. The written record uh, of uh, both what Jesus taught uh, and said and did and also what it means. So you see these things come together and we have in our Bible today that prophetic word 
given to us, a prophetic word which speaks about him. Now, this of course is the interesting thing because every other prophet in Israel received a word from God and then proclaimed that word to the people but the word was something else. See, the word was not about the prophet. The word was about what God was going to do uh, for the people, you see, one way or another, whether it was good or bad. And here you see this. You see, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and so on. Isaiah wasn't talking about himself. He wasn't going to do those things. You see, he was merely proclaiming that God was going to do this in some way that he himself probably didn't really understand. You know, if somebody said, well, what exactly is God going to do? He said, I don't know. I've just been given this message. This is going to happen. And it must have been like this because uh, we know that many of his prophecies were not fulfilled for hundreds of years. So how could he have known uh, you know, at least in detail, what was going to happen. I mean, you see this vision, um, but the precise details of how it was going to work out uh, remained hidden somehow in the future. But Jesus, when he came, and when he spoke the word of God, was talking about himself. I mean, the most amazing thing he ever said, in my opinion, anyway, during his earthly ministry, was when he talked to the, uh, to the scribes and the Pharisees who followed him around, and said to them on one occasion, said, you, you, look at, you read the scriptures, you search the scriptures, uh, because you, you think they contain the words of eternal life. But these are the things that talk about me. You know, if you really understood what the Bible was all about, you would understand that it was about me. Now, who would dare say a thing like that? You know, I mean, who would dare say... I am the message, not just the messenger, you see, but actually the message. That to believe in me is not just a question of believing that what I say is true, but it's also a question of trusting me uh, because I have done and will do something for you that nobody else can do. It's a question of recognizing me for who I am. Because I'm not just a prophet like Elijah and Elisha and all those, you know, great and wonderful though they may have been, but I am also the word. Uh, you know, the word that the prophets proclaimed. And of course, this is what John's Gospel says, isn't it? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father. So Jesus was not just the, a man who proclaimed a message from God, he was himself that message and the fulfillment of that message. And so what we see in him, uh, you see, is not just the accomplishment of an age-old promise, uh, that of course was there, but also the, the effective replacement uh, of uh, the whole prophetic tradition by himself. The prophets came to talk about him and now that he had come, that ministry, that message 
uh, was no longer relevant. You see, Jesus himself said the prophets, the law and the prophets existed up until the time of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the last of the prophets, uh, the one who was sent uh, you know, to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus himself. But once that had happened, there could be no more. Uh, because that was it. Now this message uh, is not just something of historical interest uh, or relevance. It's something of great importance for us today. Because we live in a world where people, uh, large numbers of people, do not believe that. You know, uh, you don't have to go very far. Uh, go in, uh, into the uh, Middle East, you know, the Arab world and so on, uh, and you come across the, the, the great tradition of Islam, which essentially denies this. Uh, because, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Prophet Muhammad uh, believed, he taught, uh, that... Uh, the Old Testament was the God's revelation to the Jews. The New Testament was God's revelation to the Christians. And his Koran uh, was the final and complete revelation. Uh, and so you have a situation where uh, basically Muslims uh, today look at Christians more or less in the way that we look at Jews. You know, well, people who, uh, who maintain and, and, and uh, you know, preserve an older form of the revelation. And, of course, just as we honor Jews for this, I mean, we don't reject them and so on, uh, but we don't agree with them because we say, well, the, the promises which are in the Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled in Christ, and we can hardly deny that because... How could you be a Christian if you denied that? Um, the Muslims, you see, will say, well, you know, we honor Jesus because Jesus was a great prophet, but of course he wasn't the final word. You see, the final word was Muhammad. So uh, they will look at us as Christians and say, if you were really faithful to your own beliefs, uh, you know, if you, you, to, to truly honor uh, Jesus, uh, then you will accept Islam. Uh, because Jesus was a prophet on the road to Muhammad and, and the final revelation of Islam, just as Isaiah was a prophet on the road to Jesus. You see what I mean? Uh, they extend it that way. And so we're faced with a situation uh, where uh, we cannot agree with this. Uh, we have to say no, because Jesus spoke about himself. Jesus claimed the prophetic tradition of Israel uh, as speaking about him. And that after, once he came, once he, he fulfilled the promises, uh, that was it. It couldn't happen again. You know? Um, in this country, of course, you have people uh, who believe uh, that about 200 years ago, not quite, uh, you know, God spoke or the angels uh, spoke uh, to a man in New York State, uh, you know, and gave the golden plates and all that. Uh, and... Uh, a, a whole new revelation from God um, which as Christians we have to say was a complete fantasy you know uh, and yet uh, it is a fantasy which has created a church uh, a religion uh, of its own and a very uh, an increasingly prominent religion I don't want to get into politics but I was saying the other day 
the poor Republicans are faced with a choice between a man who believes in Mormonism and one who practices it. And, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what, what on earth are you going to do? Um, but, but, but how is this possible? You see, because, because you look at this and say, here are people uh, who have, you know, who have fallen for a fantasy. Uh, and as, as Christians, we cannot do, we cannot accept this. You see, if Jesus Christ is the, is, is the final word from God, there cannot be any Latter-day Saints. You see, because that, that says that there is something more, that the message of Jesus is not enough. You see, it's not the, it's not the final word. Now, I've just chosen two prominent examples. All right? There are many more. There are many people in the world today who, who think that the Christian church, Christianity, has been a failure because there are still problems in the world. You know, they take the line that if Jesus had really been the Son of God, he would have sorted all this out and we'd all be living in paradise right now and there wouldn't be any trouble. You see? Well, that, of course, was not what Jesus promised his followers. Jesus said, uh, you know, uh, if someone wants to follow me, he should take up his cross, uh, you know, because in the world you will have tribulation, uh, but fear not because I have overcome the world. Uh, The Christian message has never been a message of, uh, you know, peace, prosperity, and and so on for people who believe in Jesus. Um, At least not as simply put as that. the word of God, the prophetic word of God, only makes sense when we see it in the perspective that Jesus gave it. And that perspective is the perspective of eternity, the perspective of heaven. As he who came down from heaven, says John, John chapter 3, uh, you know, was lifted up uh, and went back to heaven in order to take you and me there. The difference that we, we know is that we can see in focus where we are headed, we are given a prophetic word uh, in order to help guide us, uh, you know, in the life that we are called to live here on earth. Uh, we live one step at a time. Uh, as with the, the, prof- uh, the prophecies of old, uh, we, ha- we have a promise. We have a promise uh, that we know that if we are faithful unto death, he will give us a crown of life. Uh, that's where we're going, that's where we're headed, that's what it's all about. And that is the prophetic message of Jesus, the prophet who became the word, the prophet who is the word, uh, the prophet whose word we believe and follow. Now, I've been told to stop now and leave some time for questions. All right? We've got about five minutes. Question, yes. I may have to... Can you stand up? I may have to repeat your question because you won't be heard by other people. Oh, Oh, you might be now. Yeah, okay. Would it be a logical conclusion from this very helpful exposition that the miracles, the signs and wonders that Jesus did were part of his prophetic ministry and that uh, he, act, the, the other prophets performed miracles that he had empowered but he empowered his own signs and wonders and the one distinguishing one was the resurrection that that was the one thing that no other prophet could have done 
Yes, uh, that's a very good question. You're talking about the signs and wonders that Jesus did, the miracles that he performed. And of course, that actually came in the reading that I gave from Luke's uh, uh, Gospel there, because uh, Jesus said, you know, you, you want to see the miracles that I performed elsewhere when I come here. And this was, this was actually a constant problem he faced, because of course, in his earthly ministry, because people followed him around looking for miracles, um, you know, uh, understandably. I mean, this, is, this, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, and so on. But Jesus himself, you see, always said uh, that the miracles that he performed were part of his message. And his message was not miracle working, uh, but, uh, but death on the cross and resurrection and, and, and the, the bringing in of a new life. And the miracles were signs of this. Yeah, this is extremely important. Um, and of course, it reminds us, you see, that uh, when we talk about following Jesus, we have to understand this in the right way because some people think that following Jesus means copying Jesus. You know, doing what Jesus did. Uh, you remember a few years ago that there was this WWJD thing going around. What would Jesus do? And uh, I thought it was a country music station when I first saw it. There. <laughs> but this up there. But, um, uh, but it turns out, no, that, that you see, what would Jesus do? Uh, was the wrong question to ask. Because it's not what would Jesus... We don't know what Jesus would do in most cases. I mean, how can you, how can you know? You know. Um, I, I mean, Jesus might sort of come to your house for dinner and then, you know, and end up sort of cursing your trees or something. I mean, you know. There's, I mean, it's, it's hard to say what Jesus would actually do. Um, but uh, that's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, what does Jesus want you to do? Uh, because, of course, your life and ministry is different from his in this way. I mean, he came into the world in order to save us, in order to die for us, to do something which was unique to him. But at the same time, to empower us to do other th things that on the surface are different, you know, because we all lead different lives, but which reflect and come out of that. So that, you know, and he says this to his disciples, that he has to go away because his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven are the necessary prelude to the creation of the Christian church and the release, if you like, of the power of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives to do things that one man walking around Galilee could never have done. Uh, you know, I mean, because Jesus' miracles had, were, 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 of lim were limited. And this is what he says here, you know, look at Elijah, uh, you know, was sent to a widow and, and Elisha sort of healed Naaman. But these are only two individuals. And he said there were lots of other people who were in need, but he didn't go to them. Uh, you know, he didn't go to them. And in a sense, Jesus is saying the same thing about himself, that, you know, what he's doing, he's doing piecemeal on earth as, as signs and, and, and indications. Um, of something which will come in its fullness and when it comes in its fullness then we're all part of it uh, and we all sort of bear witness to it but in a different kind of way. So yes, a very important question. All right, another question. Yeah, yeah, all right, yes. Um, I would like for you to uh, look hard at, interpret in your own way mm -hmm. what Jesus meant when he said, love your enemies. What he, what he meant yeah. by that. Well, okay, what did Jesus mean when he said, love your enemies? Well, uh, I think the first thing you have to do is recognize that you've got enemies. You know, uh, which a lot of people don't think. 
I mean, it's amazing. You know, they, they can't imagine why they would uh, have them. Um, but of course, uh, you see, Jesus, Jesus knew that this would, would be the case because anyone who tells the truth has enemies. You know, the truth is not popular. Um, I don't know, I was, yesterday I was listening to the radio, the NPR, the program This American Life. Did anyone listen to that yesterday? Um, no, you're too busy on Saturday afternoon. Anyhow, um, I was listening to it and they were talking about the Euro crisis and they went to Greece, you know, and of course you know what Greece is like. And the, 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 the finance department is a kind of Alice in Wonderland thing. And uh, they said, well... Um, you've got to send in uh, a, a consultant, an expert who can sort this out. And they did. They, they hired this expert who actually produced a report on the, the finances of Greece, the first honest one that's ever been done. Um, but unfortunately, of course, it revealed that the budget deficit was twice what the official figure was. And uh, the international banking community clapped their hands and said, oh, finally, we've got the truth, you know. Uh, but the Greek government has arrested him, charged him with high treason, and is now threatening him with life imprisonment. You know. Uh, no, but, but you see, because he's telling the truth. And so, uh, you know, love your enemy. Well, but this, is, but this is what's going to happen. You see, telling the truth is costly. And you can't imagine it. You think, well, wouldn't people be glad of the truth? No. You see, and, and facing this, but then what do you do? You see, how do you, how do you respond to this? And I think what Jesus said, loving your enemies, giving them back in kind what they're giving to you is not the answer. You know, because that is bringing the truth in, to, in, into disrepute. You see, that the, the truth, you as a proclaimer, as, as, a, as a servant of the truth, as a witness to the truth, are not meant to use the weapons of, of the lie. You know, people sometimes think think it's okay. You know, the means just the end justifies the means. It doesn't. You see, and loving your enemies is basically acting in accordance with your beliefs towards people who don't a don't share them, and b uh, will uh, will attack you. uh, You know, for, for for being right and consistent. Uh, but you have to do this because in the end uh, the truth prevails. You know, because the truth is the truth. So, so loving your enemies is, in that sense, the right thing to do. Uh, you know, because in the end your enemies will be, will be confounded. They will, you know, they, they, the lie cannot prevail forever. Mm-hmm. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yes, of course. That's right. Yeah. Uh, do we have to we have to end there, I think. I think yeah, I think uh, we'd, we'd love to go on, but um, some of us have to dress out and we get to do this again. So some of y'all will be joining us and that's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, thank you. And I guess, um, will next week be uh, priest or... Priest. Yes. No, not next week. It's in two weeks' time. Next week is the parish meeting when you get to sacrifice your priest. And then, um, <laughs> well, tune in. Yeah, tune in in two weeks.